0: Open your copy of the infallible, inspired, inerrant Word of God, and turn to James. Scripture says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's no different with the passage that we are in this morning. This is our prayer that God would penetrate our hearts, change the stubbornness that is resident in our hearts, that we may not only see His majesty but live in the light of His glory. So we return to the end of chapter 1 of the book of James. Last week we looked at verse 26, and it was titled, Worthless Worship, or Worthless Religion. This morning I want to speak to you about worthy religion. Worship that God accepts. Worship that God is pleased with. I'm going to spend a couple of weeks on verse 27. There's a reason for that. I know that I don't normally finish and, um But there's a reason for that. There's, there's a lot in here that relates to our day and time. There's a lot in here that relates to how the church ought to relate to the world. And so I want to be absolutely clear as to what God expects of us as a local assembly with regards to poor people and to the world. And so we will next week look at a biblical theology of poverty. That is, we're going to look at what the Bible says in its greater, the meta-narrative of what Scripture says about poverty. And then we will take that and then apply this passage to what God has to say about poor people in the world and in the church. This morning, I'm going to focus on the first few parts of verse 27. So read with me, and I'm going to back up right through to verse 19 and read it all together. So James 1, chapter 1, verse 19 through to 27. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This morning I want to look at the contextual understanding of verse 27. We begin by approaching this passage slightly different, two reasons. Number one, because of how it is structured, so it's not going to be the normal word-by-word, verse-by-verse exposition I'm going to try to follow James's thought in the way that he puts it forth. And secondly, because it's so relevant to our time, I'm going to pause at certain sections and bring in a cultural aspect that relates to our passage. In the first part, we have a preamble, a bit of an introduction to what James is trying to say. He builds up like a good author... To his main point. And his main point is pretty simple. You can actually see it. If you take out all the other explanatory clauses. This is James's main point. Religion. Is this. To visit orphans. And widows. In the affliction. And to keep oneself unstained. From the world. That is the substance of his point. This is what religion is. To visit orphans and widows, and to keep oneself from the world. That is the substance of his argument. If you walk away with anything, that is what James wants us to understand. But he doesn't write it in that way. He uh, interludes his main argument with some qualifiers. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. So that qualification that he gives before he tells us what it is, that is what we will look at for the most part this morning. In the section we have both unworthy religion and worthy religion. Verse 26, unworthy religion. Verse 27, worthy religion. Worthless religion contrasted to worthy worship. James wants us to understand that there is religion that is not acceptable to God. There is worship that is not worthy before God. This word religion has to do with the outward acts of worship. And so I'm going to use it synonymously with acts of worship. Because that is the meaning of this word religion. So when he says, if anyone thinks that he is religious or that he performs outward acts of worship, but does not try to bridle his stung... This person is deceived, and we looked at that last week. There is self-deception in the person who thinks that he has acts of worship acceptable before God, but is not able to bridle his tongue. That person is deceived. Why? Because I made the connection that if you understand James writing in an Old Testament way to a New Testament church, he says that if you cannot control your tongue, what does it say about your heart? That your heart has not been changed. And that's the point he's making. You go back to verse 19. It points back to verse 18. What happens in verse 18? Take note of verse 18. Of this, sorry, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God is the sovereign one who brings life to dead beings. He's talking about new covenant, new birth. God is the only one who can produce new life. From dead things. So if you have come to saving faith, James says, "Well, if that is true of you, if you are part of this new covenant life, this new covenant birth, then verse nineteen ought to be rea- reality." Let every person be quick to hear. What did we say about that? Quick to hear means to hear the word of God. But hearing is not just poking your ears and coming to church. It is hearing with the purpose of doing. That is verse twenty-two through to verse twenty-five. And then he says, slow to anger at the end. And then he explains what slow to anger means. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That means having control over your emotions because that does not produce righteousness. Righteousness at least that would be acceptable before God. So James covers these three things. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Where is slow to speak then? What well, so to speak, is explained in verse 26. In verse 26, he speaks about the bridling of the tongue. And in Old Testament theology, when there is speaking or, or writing about the tongue, the heart is implicit. It's implied. When Jesus says that it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but what comes what? out of a man. For what comes out of a man, what, where does it come from? From his heart. Because deception and lies and immorality and sin resides in the heart and your tongue merely expresses that. That is what James is talking about. When he says that a man who's not able to bridle, control or, or have any kind of restraint over his tongue, that guy's heart is not right with God and therefore his religion is worthless. He's deceived. This idea of deception here is ongoing deception. He's always deceiving himself. Why? Because he's actively actively doing the acts of worship. He's actively doing things that he thinks is pleasing to God, but he deceives himself. Why? Because his heart has not been changed. James says, be careful about that. It's not about what you do. It's what causes you to do what you do. If you are worshiping or doing acts of worship from a changed heart, God receives that. If you're doing acts of worship without a changed God, God rejects that. In fact, uh, David made a good point last week when he spoke to me after the sermon. He says, when Paul writes in Philippians, that after he came to saving faith, he realized that all that he did as a Pharisee, was but what? Dung. Religious poop, for those of you who didn't understand that. That's all that I was offering to God. Meant nothing. Why? Because my heart has not been changed. And so God cannot accept that. It's a stench, stinking act of worship before God. It repulses him when sinners come and thinking they are doing good before him, that they are doing acts of worship before him. God will never accept that worship. Why? Because it's deceptive and it's defiled. It's unlike what God desires. No measure of idolatrous worship will ever be acceptable to God, regardless of the sincerity with which it is offered. Why do I use the word idolatrous? Because at the end, James says in verse 26, that person's religion is worthless. That word worthless is akin to pagan idolatrous worship. That religion, that act of worship, is no different to worshiping an idol. So when you come, and your heart has not been changed, and you serve in the church of Jesus Christ as if you are saved, what are you offering? You're not offering worshipful acts to God. You are worshiping an idol. And who's the object of your idol? Your own heart. James says, be careful, because you are deceiving yourself. External religious duties performed without a changed heart is no different to idol worship. And that is why it is so dangerous for people to serve who are not sure of their salvation. That is why it's so dangerous for those who think that they are saved, but are not serve, uh, saved, but serving in the church of Jesus Christ, because they continually, to de- they continually deceive themselves in believing that they are saves, saved. Some Pharisees, thought that they were trying to please God by killing Christians. Paul was that guy trying to wipe out Christians because he thought that is what God wanted. Did God receive that as an act of worship, as a Pharisee? Definitely not. Not in any way. He thought that external observances, observances would make him acceptable to God. Instead, after God opened his eyes, he said, all that I did was as dumb, meant nothing to me. That is what worshipful acts of religious uh, religion is when it is done from an unchanged heart. See, any works-based religion drives you further away from God. Any works-based religion, anything that you do in order to merit favor from God drives you away from God. Why? Because you're not depending on the work of God that He provided on the cross. You are trying to do what God has already done. That is why it is by grace through faith in Christ alone. There is no other way we can bring pleasure to God but by being in Jesus Christ, believing in the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. Any other work is idolatrous worship before God. So let me reiterate, serving God without a changed heart is a whole lot of nothing worship. Uh, My pastor used to say a nothing burger. I have no idea what a nothing burger is. But I know what a nothing cake is. You know when you eat cake and it's all air? In you know, sponge cake? I, I dislike sponge cake because you bite in it and there's nothing. It's like not having any teeth. It's just... <sighs> that is what you do when you offer works of worship without a changed heart. It's a big nothing cake. God does not receive that. That's the bad news. That is verse 26. We have a contrast, which is the good news, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Just pause there. James provides the counterbalance to the deceptive, false, religious activity of unworthy worship. And it is this, verse 27. There are two actualities that's illustrative. ...of worship that God would accept. Now it may sound strange to you... ...based on what James is saying. Remember he's talking about worship. The religion that he's talking about is worship, acts of worship. Now it's going to sound strange, but hang in there. I'm going to explain it later. These are the two acts of worship that God will accept... ...that is worthy before God. To visit orphans and widows... ...and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How on earth is that acts of worship? Well, if you don't fall asleep you will probably get it at the end. So we will look at these over the next couple of weeks. Now James normally writes in a very simple, straightforward way. Not in a simplistic way, but in a very straightforward way. You can, you can follow the subject, verb, object. This is one of the few occasions where he doesn't do that. And so you want to perk your attention to when he moves away from the normal way of writing. So instead of telling us this, is the subject... And this is the direct object. He doesn't do that. He says this is a subject. But take note of this first. What is this? These few things. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. The main thrust of his argument as a noun and not as a verb. I'm not talking about fighting argument. But as a case that he's making, a claim that he's making, is pretty simple. Religion can be accepted before God. Worshipful acts of religion can be accepted before God. But it's got to be done God's way. These modifying words, in the beginning of verse 27, pure and undefiled before God, gives us a hint to what James is after. See, religion that is created by man will always be deceptive. It is always moving you away from God. But religion that comes from God, established by God, and governed by God will always be acceptable to God. Why? Because He's the one that governs it. In verse 27, religion or these acts of worship does not become pure and undefiled. It is by its very nature pure and undefiled. That should already you to pause and think. Why? Because we are sinners by nature. Now, if you understand a little bit about Hebrews, there is, I think it's chapter 7 and in chapter 10, where he says that the offerer will never be cleansed by his offering. It'll never be made perfect. Why? Because he's offering it. Who's the he? The sinner. You already contaminate the offering because you're a sinner. It will never cleanse you because you participate in the activity, so you need an external. Person to sacrifice on your behalf who does not contaminate the sacrifice. And that was Jesus Christ who offered himself on your behalf. And that is why when we are placed in him, the acts of worship that we engage in are by nature acceptable, are by nature pure and undefiled before God because we don't do it out of our own will or want. We do it because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So let's give... A little attention to these two words, pure and undefiled. What do they mean? Worship that is seen but does not flow from a changed heart is an offense to God. That is deceptive worship. It is unclean, contaminated, unsuitable before God. But in contrast, undefiled worship visits orphans and widows. I'm going to call them the poor from now onwards. And keeps oneself unstained from the world. There's two things that James describes here. First, there is, or rather gives us here, first there is a description of religion, and then there is a location of this religion. Remember, religion is acts of worship, so there's a description of these acts of worship, and then there is a uh, location of these acts of worship. So let's begin by looking at the beginning part of verse 27. The religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. We will pause there. It is literally religion, pure and undefiled. There two words that is, it's not there in the original, but I understand why it is in, included because of the relationship, the grammatical relationship between the religion, pure and undefiled. And so for our purposes, religion that is by nature pure and undefiled before God is this. Now let's be clear. James is not giving the entire scope of all that acts of worship are. That sounds a bit awkward. He's not giving us a definitive, declarative statement of all that is pure religion. He's choosing merely two aspects. This is not a categorical, precise, nor exhaustive definition of what worship is. Now some do take it that way and they say, well, here you go. Religion is only these two things, to visit orphans or to take care of the poor and to keep yourself from the world. Is that all that religion is? Not by any means. You have to take the totality of scripture in mind before you make that statement. James, for his purposes, and for the purpose of his audience, chooses these two things. And I hope it becomes clear why he chooses these two things. So, one thing that we must avoid, which sadly is happening quite often today, is to make this one line the standard of true worship. The only thing that worship requires is to visit the poor and to keep yourself from the world. In fact, if you, if you read a lot of uh, uh, liberal theology or, or, or some aspects of um, social justice, they only focus on visiting the poor. They don't speak about the other aspect, but that's the only thing that they focus on. Since James is not summarizing the entire scope of biblical Christianity, we then have to understand within its context what he means by these acts of worship. What is this particular expression that he has in mind over here? So the question then that arises from that is what is meant by pure and undefiled? The word here, the adjective pure, comes from Judaism. And it is associated with ceremonial cleansing of objects. Both of the person or an object, it is cleaned or cleansed for the purposes of of worshiping, for the purposes of offering a sacrifice. That is the word. It means to be ceremonially cleaned, ritually cleansed, to be free from anything that would violate the worship. In an ethical sense, it carries the idea of purity, free from sin, so not defiled by sin. You can see the overlap there. And therefore, cleansed. I was reading one of the histor- history books. Uh, I like reading uh, old history. And um, Herodotus used this specific word of his army. And what he meant was his army was pure, clean from all the impurities. Men who were weak. Men who were wimps. And he says, I have a pure army. A clean Army removed from all sickness and ineffective men. I like that, it gives you the picture of what cleanliness is in that time. In James, it is used similarly here. It relates to acts of worship that is cleansed, not by going to the temple or performing rituals in the temple, but pure worship that is already accepted before God because by its nature it is cleansed. This worship includes these two things, visiting the poor and keeping oneself from the world. To a Jew, this must have been a shocker. Consider that he is writing to Jews. Jews only. Now yes we are preaching about it in, in a Gentile church there may be a Jew or two here there, but he's, he's writing to Jews the entire religion was based upon what? The temple. Without the temple you don't have a uh, Jewish worship. In fact you see that happening during the Babylonian captivity. James says acts of worship, religion that is acceptable to God, is not going to the temple to cleanse yourself there, but it is being pure in how you relate to the poor and to the world. The second adjective here is undefiled. Describes something that is free of contamination, unspotted. Again, we have to think sacrificial system. This is language that you would expect To be used of the sacrifice that is being offered by the offerer. They had to be clean and undefiled and unblemished. That is the idea. And James says religion that is pure and unstained or undefiled or unblemished is this. That should have shocked the Jewish mind because what you would expect is this that religion that is pure and undefiled is a person that has clean hands and a pure heart and sacrifices a a clean and unblemished lamb. That is what you would expect. But that's not what James says. James says that acts of worship that is pure and undefiled before God, you would expect the rest of the sentence to say clean hands and a pure heart and an unblemished lamb. But instead he says... That it is pure and undefiled before God. And it is this. Visiting the poor and keeping yourself from the world. Those two things don't make sense. How can religion be pure? How can your worshipful acts of worship be those two things? And I think James does this for a very specific reason. Because of who they were that he was writing to. This is a drastically different approach to worship. This is something that they would have paused on. Hang on, James. We are Jews. We have the temple. What are you talking about? An act of worship. Think of the implications. If we love God's people who are suffering and you care for them, and you keep yourself from the world, we are doing that as what? An act. An act. Of worship. That is what he's saying. Your acts of worship was. To go to the temple and make a sacrifice. That's changed. Your acts of worship now. Is. Not to go and offer. But to offer yourself. As a sacrifice. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't Paul say that in Rome. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, and notice these two words, holy and acceptable. That's what the sacrifice was. And he says, you do that with your life, which is your spiritual act of worship. And I like what Paul does there. He says, do not be conformed to the world. That's almost the same as what James says. And again, we would use Paul and say that James is saying what Paul is saying. No, I don't think so. James wrote before Paul. So maybe Paul is echoing what James is saying. Now, that's one of those views that you can disagree with me on, and I won't be prideful in looking down at you. (laughs) In fact, in in the latter part of chapter 12, if you read the rest of chapter 12, the acts of worship, worship, I explained serving helping those who are in need doing things in the body of Jesus Christ that is in view in acts of worship Paul got that James got that but maybe this Jews who has just come from sacri- the sacrificial system they probably didn't get it yet and so James says this is what it means to worship God this is what it means to offer acts of worship, understand the enormity of what, is Je- or what James is saying to these Jews, it's no longer the temple saints. It's no longer the sacrificial offerings or sacrifices. Why is that important? Why do they not need to go to the temple to make sacrifices anymore? Why? Because the cross is taking place. Because the one for all sacrifice has already been offered on the cross of Jesus Christ. So therefore, you don't need to make any more sacrifices because Jesus has already made that once complete sacrifice for your sins. James is saying that the temple is no longer required. Your sacrifices is no longer required. That is huge. That would have shocked their system. They would have shocked them as Jews. James understands. And the interesting thing is that James never mentions the cross of Jesus Christ. And I've been asked a question, why is the cross not mentioned? It just happened. It just happened. They, we are less than 40 years removed from the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, I think it's less than 15 years. Because by AD 49, You have the Jerusalem Council. That is when the Gentiles were being added into the church. That is, and and this book is written between that period, between 1833 and 1848. So James provides two particulars of religion that he says is the sacrifice. This is what we are offering to God. This is how you are doing acts of worship by caring for the poor and keeping yourself from the world. Let me put it this way. This is worship that God accepts. Love those whom God loves and reject that which God hates. Make sense? That is what he's asking for. So firstly, the nature of religion is acceptable to God is this. It is clean and unblemished. It is the offering of the person. It is the offering in what they do before God. Secondly, what you should note is the location of these acts of worship, the location of true religion. Look at verse 27 again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Before God the Father. We we generally skip those. It's called a prepositional phrase. They are important. James doesn't have to mention this. He does not need to, intu- need to include it, but he does. And so I want to pause there and give some attention to what he says. This provides the location where religion or acts of worship is being practiced. Not before men, not in the temple, but before God. They would have understood that. Because in the Old Testament, the word before God um, has the meaning... Literally before his face. So your sacrifices, going to the temple, making the sacrifice, offering the dove or offering the lamb, was done before the very face of God. And James James captures that language and he says, this is what true, pure and undefiled, self-sacrificing worship is. It is done before the very face of God. A.T. Robertson says it this way, quote, by the side of, and so from God's standpoint, before Him, In quote. The location where our worship is conducted is before God. I want to emphasize that. It is done in the very presence of God. So when you visit your 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 a widow in, in, in the church, when you care for an orphan in the church, when you keep yourself unstained from the world, you are demonstrating acts of worship before God. Which means, it is no longer taking your sacrifice to the temple. I wonder if you are thinking about John chapter 4. Remember what happened there? Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, and she says, you know what, when the prophet comes, then he will, he will tell us all these things. Uh, we will know. And Jesus says, Well, I am I am the one you are waiting for. Woman, listen to me that the hour is coming that neither on that mountain nor in Jerusalem will we worship. But the Father seeks true worshipers, those who would worship him in, here's the location, spirit and in truth. The location of worship is going to change. Jesus spoke of this moment and James is saying, yes, that is happening. We don't need to go to the temple any longer. Because our worship, where we do it, the way that we live in this world, what we are doing for God is done before God. All acts of worship was done in the very presence of God. And James is saying, Yes, what you need to know. We are no longer required to go to the temple because, yes, the sacrifice has been made. And also, where we worship, where you are now removed from Jerusalem, that is where you are able to offer your acceptable worship before God. Why were they not in Jerusalem? Well, Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, you have persecution breaking out. In Acts chapter 8, you find them splitting, they have to flee for their lives. Those are the saints that James is writing to. They are no longer in Jerusalem to go to the temple and he says, don't worry about that. You don't need to go there to worship. You don't need to go there to offer through uh, uh, sacrifices of worship. Your acts of worship can be seen where you are. It is still before God. James provides a sobering reality of every Christian's walk and conduct. It is done before God. Our worship, whether it's playing the guitar, whether it's preaching or helping somebody that is in need, it is done before our God. James says that this religion is open and bare before God. But notice what he says right after that. Before God the Father. Why mention that? Well, Father is specifically related to um, what he will mention in a moment, Simon. I'll get to that. But it's interesting that the construction here, he wants him to understand that God is the Father. God, the Father. In fact, the actually precedes God. So it's the God and Father. Which means that whoever God is, is the Father. Whoever the Father is, is God. That is his relationship. Now, who's... God. Well, jump down to chapter 3, verse 9. <clears throat> Speaking about the untamed tongue, and he says, With it, this is our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, our tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So, who's the Father? The Father is Lord. Who's the Lord? The Lord is God. So he's saying that the Father is both Lord and God. Now go back to chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Go to chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying? The Lord is who? Jesus Christ. But isn't the Lord also the Father? Yes, it is. James understands something that is probably not as observable in the English translation as it would have been in the Greek translation. Because the same word L-O-R-D in the, um, in the Greek New Testament is in the Old Testament is, the, is used for the name of God, Yahweh. So when in their Greek translations of the Old Testament, they would have seen Lord as the name of God. And James says, I get that. This Father is Lord. This Lord is Jesus because this Lord is God and Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus and the Father are one in essence. There is a theology that is resident in this book, but it's often missed because we have this mentality that there's no theology in James. I beg to differ. There is tremendous theology, and James captures, James captures it here. Before God the Father, who is God? God is the Lord. Who is the Father? The Father is the Lord. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is also the Lord. So the Father and Jesus are both one in essence. There's another reason why he uses this name Father, and it relates to visiting the orphans and the widows. But what is important here is that no one can bear the name of God but God. The reason why he's so comfortable in naming Jesus as Lord is because he understands that Jesus is God. The reason he has no problem in saying that the Father is Lord is because he understands that the Father is God. So James, in his mind, he's got no problem with what people are struggling with today. He's got no problem with it. He says, no, no, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. He's God. And he says, no, the Father is Lord. And we would say, what on earth? How? Because they are the same essence. They are one and the same person. Religion that is worthy is a religion that is pure and undefiled before the eyes of God. That's what James is saying. And therefore, it is acceptable. Notice, the one who examines our worship is God. The only person that you need to be concerned about, concerning your acts of worship, is God. The only one that we have to be concerned about approving our acts of worship is God, not the government. Worship is not a subdivision of government. Worship belongs exclusively to God exclusively to God. If there's worship that is offered to anyone else, it's idolatry. Anything else, it's idolatry. If you do anything other than God demands of you in worship, it is not worship. When the government gets involved in worship, that is not worship. That's subverting God's ordained worship to government. That is a sin. Our acts of worship that is the word religion. It's to be approved by God, not government. We have been asked, why on earth don't you wear masks? Don't you care about people? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We, we love people. and We love them when they are alive and we love them when they are dying. But we do love people. But worship does not belong to people. Worship does not belong to this government. Worship does not belong to the governments of this world. Worship belongs to one deity, one divine sovereign God, and it is our God. Anything that prohibits us from worshiping God freely is unacceptable. Anything that stands in the way of our worship of our God is unacceptable. That is unacceptable worship, that is deception. Conscience nor freedom is greater than the command of God. You can't say, oh, but it's a conscience issue. I just want to obey the government. Your conscience does not override the word of God. Your freedom is not higher than the word of God. James says that your worship is performed before whom? God and God alone. We need to break ourselves from the governing authority of government because we are subject to one authority. That is God. When it comes to his worship. We allow government to control what they are given to control. Put the criminals in prison. That is what God has given you to do. You can regulate all you want. But when it comes to the worship of God, keep your hands off. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this. And I know that we will get in trouble for this. Because some of us don't wear masks. And there's already been questions. The only thing that we have to be concerned about is, is our worship acceptable to God? That is the only concern we must have. What is the context of this book? Well, James writes in chapter 1 from verse 2 onwards, to count it all joy. Why? Because they are in affliction. They are being persecuted for their faith. Why? Because they dared to preach the name of Christ. They got persecuted for it. He's writing in that context, and he says, Listen, you are removed from Jerusalem, but don't worry, you can still have your acts of worship. You can still demonstrate that you are serving the living God by being faithful to your God. Persecution is no excuse not to be faithful to your God. Affliction is no excuse not to be faithful to your God. There is no excuse on he- on not on heaven. On earth that allows us to make any kind of claim to say, I will not worship God today. There is nothing that is excusable when it comes to worship. They were willing to die for their faith because they believed in the sovereign God of the universe. Saints, we are heading into dangerous waters. I know that. I know that I may be the first one to be put in prison because I'm here more often than Peter and Don. Persecution of the church that dares to defy government is coming. Canada has recently implemented a law that would criminalize anybody that would call a homosexual a sinner. Thank you, Don. (coughs) (laughs) They're Canadian, that's why. If If you say that they need to repent of it, you could be imprisoned. You could be fined for that as well. As we speak, the U.S. is considering Ordinance 3121 that proposes a ban on all unlicensed counselors, that is, counselors not approved by the government, from practicing conversion therapies, what they call it, on minors or anyone. Conversion therapy is this, and quote, any practice or treatment that seeks to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity and counseling as techniques used to help individuals make decisions relating their own personal growth, vocation, family, and interpersonal concerns, in quote. That is wide. If I tell you as a counselor from the word of God that I don't think it's a good idea for you to pursue a man if you're a man that would be wrong religion that is pure and undefiled is done before God and only cares what God says about these acts of worship religion that is pure and undefiled would say no to the world's moral standards would say no to murdering of infants would say no to unbiblical parenting would say no To imprisoning preachers who merely speak the word of God. Why? Because we are faithful to our God. And that's all that matters. Our acts of worship is not done before the government. I frankly do not care what the government thinks about our little church that wants to be faithful to God. They can come in and take us all. I know some of you will probably be scared of that. But if that is the call, if that is what God chooses to do to us as a local assembly, stand firm, remain faithful. Why? Because your act of worship is done before your God. Despite what government says or requires or thinks, James says, in a context where the government had a different opinion of what worship should look like, he says, your worship, remember this, is done before God. Done before God. We, we miss these little phrases because it is just a prepositional phrase. But that is so important, so significant. Look at the last line of verse 27. Keep oneself unstained from the world. That's part of your act of worship. To keep yourself uninfluenced, uncontaminated by and from the world. When we allow a defiled, corrupt, and ungodly government to dictate what happens in the church of Jesus Christ, we've opened the door to the manipulation of worship. Don't do that. If they take us as your leaders, and those of you who will stand in, don't capitulate to the government. Don't give in, because your worship The only thing that matters is that your worship is done before God, even if we defy our government. Religion that honors God keeps itself unstained, unspotted, unmixed from the world. See, our thinking must not be governed by parliament, but our thinking must be governed by the pure, unadulterated, unaffected word of God. It will stay true throughout eternity. That is what we want to commit ourselves to. What we need to understand is that religion matters to God. When I say religion, it is acts of worship matters to God. Today, sadly, the church has become more concerned about how it will be viewed in the world. Your are mask wearing how it will be viewed in the world. You're coming to church when the government says no, how will the world see it? So what if they see us as rebels? So what if they think evil of us? So what? Be faithful to your God. Our religion or acts of worship is not done before the world, though they may see it. It is done before the face of our God. Two certainties that James gives us that is acceptable acts of worship before God is number one. To visit orphans and widows, number two, to keep oneself unstained from the world. That was my introduction to the sermon. (laughs) Let me summarize and then next week we'll get into it. It can be summarized as this. To visit those whom God loves and to keep from loving that which God hates. Love those whom God loves, widows and orphans. What does that mean? This has often been taken to mean all poor. It's a, it's a category that they say, oh, it's, it's um, anybody that is discriminated against, anybody that is uh, um, on the fringe of society, anybody that is in poverty. One guy, and next week I will give you some names, that you may be careful about when reading on this issue of um, caring for the poor. This guy says, well, it relates to people such as aid sufferers, um, those who are um, illegal aliens, those who are suffering in any kind of circumstance. Not just orphans and widows. He says, oh, that is a a wooden understanding of the text. We, we, We don't want that. Let me just point out one thing and I'll end on this. Take notice what James says. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Wait a minute. So this is not a literal situation? Yes, it is. Why do we have widows and orphans in affliction? Acts chapter 7 verse 8. If you go to chapter 8, I think it is. Um, it says that Paul... Uh, let me, let me, let's go there. Quickly, I, I, I won't be long. I know you're hungry. But you can hold, hold another two more minutes. Look at chapter 8. In chapter 7, you have the stoning of Stephen. In chapter 8, it says, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Hmm, interesting. Take note next. And they were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Remember, I said, this is the saints that he's talking about? Yes, it is. Because the further you go on in chapter 8, by chapter 10, you already have one person who's a Gentile being added to the church. So by chapter 9, they've spread beyond the regions of uh, Samaria. Over here, what we have is that everyone except the apostles are spread abroad. But notice in verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen. And made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravishing the, ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off who did he drag off? Men and women, and committed them to prison. Think about that. What does James say? Care for the widows and orphans. What does Luke say? That Paul went about and he dragged off father and mother. Men and women. So what does that produce? Orphans. And maybe in some cases they only took the men. So what would that produce? Well, a widow. But if he was killed, she would be a widow. What you have here is James saying, listen here. Care about those who are in a situation due to the suffering for the gospel. They are in affliction. But notice what he does not say. Go back to James. Notice what he does not say. Visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. It does not say, take them out of their affliction. It does not say, go to them, make sure that you give them more than enough so that they would be rich. It does not say, e- equality. It does not say, give them. What they need. But he does say visit them. You know what that word means? You can do an extensive study on it and it means visit. Go be with them. Go be with them. Stay with them. And there's one translation, uh, one uh, lexicon that says uh, intently looking into. That means you're caring for them. That doesn't mean that you don't help them or bring them food or, or love them in the situation. No, it means be with them. And sometimes that means bringing a meal along. But go be with them. So, in other words, don't abandon them. That's all that it means. Why? Because their fathers and mothers were persecuted for the gospel. Why? Because the husband has just died because of the gospel. So care for them. Yeah, I think James is being very literal here. This is not a canopy to say all the poor in the world. I vehemently disagree with that social justice idea. James is saying, this is the religion that is worthy before God, by caring about those whom God cares about. I think we are in turmoil as a church. When I mean the church, it is the church globally. We are caving on governmental pressures. We are caving on social justice pressures. We are caving because we don't fully understand that our convictions are not modeled or manipulated or created by government or the world. In fact, we are told to be separate from the world. It is governed, created, and made by God. The only person we have to be concerned about concerning the poor and concerning our conviction and our testimony in the world is God. I hope you live with that. And If you never come back because of our conviction concerning government, that is okay. I will not dislike you. I may be sad if you never come back, but I will not hate you over it. I will love you through it. And I hope you come to the understanding that we have, that there is one authority in the church of Jesus Christ and it is God. Let me end on that. Father, we thank you for your great kindness toward us. We have given up a lot of territory. We ask for your forgiveness. We have limped our way through the challenges of COVID. We have stumbled our way through social justice and the rise of a worldly concept that has no place in your church. Forgive us, Lord. We want to do what honors you. We want to live in a way that brings glory to your name. We want to have worship that is pure and undefiled. We want to have worship that is done before you, acts of worship that is worthy in your eyes. Help us, oh God and Father. Help us. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be true to your word. Help us to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Help us to love those who are suffering because of the gospel. Pray now that you would use your word to bring conviction. Use your word to change our hearts. That we may honor you in our daily lives. We give thanks to you for Christ's name. Amen.